All right, here we are. Welcome to The Sedated Man, episode 56, Overcoming Porn, an interview with Shane O'Neill of Proven Men Ministries. So I want to thank uh, Shane for coming on. And just to go ahead and just roll right into things, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be with Proven Men, because I think really uh, that'll, that'll get us out there into what we need to talk about. Thanks, Michael. It's good to be here with you. Um, I am a missionary kid. I was born in the Philippines. Uh, three sisters, two older, one younger. Dad, a lot of ministry, uh, a lot of male-dominated ministry, which meant he traveled a lot, and I was home with women often. Um, and we lived a lot of different places. Um, I started getting mixed up in pornography, which is the ministry I'm a part of, Proven Men. Uh, I started getting mixed up in pornography before I was even physiologically able to respond to the stuff. Um, there's something about being a guy and being enamored by that kind of beauty. We're made for beauty, and I was drawn to it even before my body could respond to it, which is crazy. Uh, and it's been a big part of my life since then. Um, I met Jesus when I was in my late teens, he saved me from a lot of stuff. And so I've known him for 10 years now. And I've been working with Proven Men uh, coming up on three years. I'm their editorial director, so I get to write for them. And, uh, and that's a lot of what we do. We go into churches. Uh, we don't conceive of ourselves as a para-church organization. We don't want people to be like, oh, we go to church for this, and then we go you know, to proven men for the, you know, the sexuality stuff. We go into churches, we're a parachurch organization. We go into churches, we equip the elders uh, in this, in these resources so they can then equip their parishioners with these mm -hmm. resources. So, so when you say resources, what are you talking about exactly? Yeah, a lot of different stuff. So uh, in a big way, we're kind of a one-stop shop for all things sexual integrity. Um, we've got uh, the bread and butter of Proven Men is, uh, it's a 12-week curriculum. So we've got Pro Proven Men, a uh, 12-week guide. And then we also have Proven Women because it's not just a guy issue anymore, unfortunately. Our sin has bled over into their lives as well. And, uh, and yeah, female use of pornography is growing faster than male use at this point. Uh, more, more males view it, uh, but it's growing faster for female usage. Well, the males are physically minded, so that's not surprising. But for women, I think it's just a, I think it's wanting to feel, yeah. they, they feel that they have to, to meet this, this unrealistic standard, but that's, that's a standard that's being set. Which is wild. Yeah. And, and a lot of them aren't getting the kind of intimacy that they're supposed to be getting. You mm -hmm. know, you, you wrote about that, the sexless marriage. I mean, we had you come on and write into that for us and that was huge. And I think that plays on both sides, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my wife and I have done marriage counseling for with younger couples. You know, from the time we got married, we've been married almost twenty four years, and we've counseled other younger couples as we've gotten older. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing to me, uh, just as a side note, how many you know, quote unquote, sexless marriages there are. Because a sexless marriage is not strictly no sex; it's very little. Yeah. Uh, and it's because people don't understand the scriptural model. You know, Christians yeah. don't understand the scriptural model of marriage and that, and that sex is not this dirty thing. It's glue. It's a huge portion of the glue that keeps things together. And Satan's no idiot. He knows exactly how to pry those two pieces apart. And porn is one of them. For sure. For sure. I mean, you, you wrote about in that article that it's, um, 
that it, it fosters healthy intimacy, right? When you're bringing your bodies together in that kind of unity, you can't insulate yourselves from each other. You know, exactly. you end up needing to talk through issues and you yeah. know, you be physical uh, prolonged periods of time with, you know, with having kind of this emotional distance. And so it really is just such a healthy practice and it's a necessary one in marriages. Yeah. And, and it's not a job. You know, unfortunately, most men, they don't get that. And so I'm sure, I'm sure some of the work that you do probably helps them understand that, look, this is not just something for you to do. And it's yeah. not just something she has to do. It's something you should both desire to do. Yeah. And, Listening, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And porn, of course, just kind of destroys that whole thing. Oh, it's a mess, dude. Yeah. So the 12-week curriculum is, uh, we've even got some uh, curriculum coming out. It's called Proven Wives because a lot of women find out that their husbands have been cheating on them, either with a digital mistress or an actual one. And they don't know how to process that. All of a sudden they question their vows. Does covenant mean anything? Did he ever love me? Like why, like, am, what do I need to do? Do I need to start performing? Do I need to start watching porn? Yeah. Those kinds of questions. What does love and forgiveness look like in those instances? And they don't know how to see Jesus and how to know Jesus in those moments. And there's just not a lot of curriculum for them. And so we just created an eight week study guide for proven why just women so they can interact with Jesus and know how to interact with their husbands in that space as well. Absolutely. So, no, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's our stuff. Um, and then I, we provide a lot of other things like blogs, uh, like statistics. We did a, um, a, a Barna stat in 2014. It was $10,000 and uh, a lot of fruit. It's just good. It's just, I mean, it costs a lot of money to do something like that, but uh, the, the figures and the numbers that come back are just so important. So we provide oh, a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, and being able to put that kind of material then in other people's hands is tremendous. Yeah, for sure. Because a, a lot of people don't think it's a serious issue. Oh, know? it is. It's, it's just an issue nobody wants to talk about. It's a private issue. Yeah, it's a private sin and yeah. no one will talk about it. I mean, there are plenty of times where congregants will reach out to us for help. We'll call uh, or we'll try and get a touch in touch with their 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 churches and we we can't uh, because the pastor either doesn't take it seriously or seemingly he has the addiction and he doesn't want to engage it himself. Yeah. Which is a really messy situation. Yeah. And I can imagine this and some are probably just very uncomfortable with it at all. I once had a preacher tell me, he said, Hey, look, you know, we don't get trained as preachers for marriage counseling, we're just, but we're expected to do it. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's a really good point. <laughs> you know? So, and I'm right. sure that's where that probably comes in. Hey, my husband's watching porn and that's all part of that marriage counseling. And you're like, I don't want to be here. You know? So <laughs> I don't know how to I deal with this. Yeah. yeah. You're like, Oh my God, I didn't, I didn't need to know that, but, but no, they do. They absolutely do. So you said you had some stats. I wanted to take a second. And if you got some stats, throw those up there. Cause I think this is porn is more than just, I mean, porn has almost become political, kind of like, kind of like abortion. If people think of abortion as more of a political than a moral and ethical issue, mm. then it's easier for people to talk about, although it's not political, it's right. completely moral and ethical. It's the same yeah. with porn. They think of it as this political issue that I just don't have to deal with. You know, that's what everybody else does. And they don't realize it's happening in their own house or they want to deny it's happening in their own totally. house. Totally. I mean, it's even, it's even physiological, like watching porn. I mean, stat, uh, research shows us watching porn increases gray matter in the brain, which it, it makes you dumber. Right? <laughs> yeah, you, that's you, a good way to put you're it. You to stimulation and you can't, you can't engage, you can't retain it. It impacts your memory. All sorts of things start to go. So it's just, it's bad across the board. You know? So if you feel, if you feel stupid after watching porn, you're correct. 
Yes. <laughs> Go ahead with your stats. Yeah. Well, uh, just to throw out a, a few of them. So this has done several, several hundred people, several hundred men uh, across the demographic, all Christians. So 97% of them had viewed porn. So it's 97% of, of male Christians have viewed porn. Um, 37% of them look at it several times a week. Um, and then 50, 55%, uh, so this is interesting, 55% were, were not comfortable talking to parents about sex while growing up. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them were raised up in Christian households. 55% uh, of those married uh, viewed porn at least once a month. Mm. Um, and then we had 30, 36%, uh, 36% of them had... Um, had pursued some kind of adulterous relationship with someone else, whether or not it was followed through, uh, they couldn't just leave it at porn, right? They try, they try to take it elsewhere. Natural progression. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are some of the salient stats. Um, and, and they're, they're harrowing Josh McDowell. Uh, he's mm -hmm. a famous kind of apologist guy. Um, he did some more stats in 2016, 2017, because, I mean, our stats are from 2014, and they're ugly. They're ugly stats. Uh, but that was five years ago, like five yeah. years ago. So I, he did another one in 2014 with Barna. It was bigger. They spent more money. So if, you, if anybody who's listening to this uh, is interested in that, just literally, if you just typed in um, uh, Josh McDowell Barna, into a Google search engine, it would pop up right away. And I definitely recommend checking that out. Same thing with proven men, um, stats, Barna stats, uh, it would pop up right away. So I'd go and look at those. Um, cause just hearing me talk about it isn't quite enough. Uh, is that Barna with a B or Barna with a V? B A R N A. B A R N A. And that'll be in the show notes as well. Very sweet. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so then that begs the question, obviously, I mean, let's be honest, you know, men, we try to, uh, when we got a problem, we know we're, we're dealing with, we try to minimize. So really the question that we want to, uh, to put out there is, you know, well, how much porn is too much porn? Yeah. When, when, when is it, when is it really sin? Is it once a month? Is it, you know, and, and what is porn? Is it, is it when I'm, is it when I'm checking out chicks on Instagram? Is it when I've actually dove way deeper into Twitter than I should, or onto adult sites that I don't need to be on? You know, what do you typically tell men? Because I'm sure you've come across men who want to minimize it as, oh, it's not this big deal because I don't do it that often. What, sure. what would you say to those guys? You know, I, I even see that in my own heart, you know. So yep. it's not just something like that. I mean, even being at the beach or those kinds of situations, right, where I let my, my eyes linger and, like, Jesus challenges that status quo. Like, whoever looks at a woman with adultery has already committed, looks at her with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he, he steps it up a notch. And, and so, I mean, anything along those lines is, is adultery and it's, and it's well, as Jesus would define things. Um, there, uh, there, they're just, so there have been about 36 studies done at like universities like Cambridge, like Harvard, like Oxford on pornography and the effects of pornography. And every single one of those studies have come back saying that, that porn is across the board bad for you. It's just harmful. There's nothing like good about it there. I mean, we, 
there there are like even studies with like couples that like watch porn together because that's 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 like a popular thing like hey like yeah. porn can actually be healthy in a relationship right because like it can help couples jump into their sexual identities and like teach them through things and whatnot and it is just it wreaks havoc on those kinds of relationships so even in any way you, you you try and spin the diamond on that it just ends up coming back as ugly it just ends up coming back as as messy so i mean with with guys it's it's a secret sin we do it in the privacy of our own rooms and it 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 changes the way we think it changes our ethical system it changes the way we view people around us our founder joel uh hesh he was a kind of a big shot um lawyer up in dc and he didn't actually watch porn he would just he would just, I mean, throughout the day, he'd keep a running catalog of beautiful women that he saw, and then he'd go home at night and be intimate with them in his imagination, mm-hmm. right? And that's like what he did. And he did that for like 20 or 30 years. It climaxed when he, no pun intended, but it climaxed when he tried to have an affair with his wife's best friend. Oh. And, uh, it was just a mess. And, and he just came clean at that point, and, uh, and he and his wife just started rebuilding their marriage from there. 10 years later, well, that was 17 years ago. So that, I mean, Proven Man is what it is today because, uh, because Joel was, Joel and Teresa, I mean, his wife grinded that out with him, stuck it out with him. So like, I mean, you don't even have to have an addiction to porn for lust to be just wrecking stuff in your life. And we do, we minimize it, but like, like if you're, I mean, I was with a buddy the other day and he, he, when I, we were at a cafe and whenever a woman would walk in, he, uh, the door is behind me, his eyes would flutter to her and bounce back to me and he would just be able to talk seamlessly while his eyes did that. Right. And I caught on after a while that he was doing that and he didn't even know that he was doing that. But he's, he's so conditioned, we're so conditioned to be sexually stimulated that he's always looking, always looking, always looking. And who knows what, I mean, the brain does, does weird things in those moments, whether or not it's... Uh, a running catalog of women we're going to, you know, be within our imagines later that night, or it's just a, a really two dimensional way of seeing another human being. Either way, there's nothing healthy about it. Exactly. Well, I mean, scripture's pretty adamant, you know, him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin, which means that that level is, I mean, in, the individual knows when he stepped over the line, yeah. the individual, he can, when you start, when you start in your mind, uh, figuring out why you weren't sinning, you have probably crossed the line already. I mean, and let's be honest, you know, I mean, it's a choice. It's absolutely a choice. You can choose, you know, I, I, I struggled with porn when I was younger. I mean, let's be honest. Women are beautiful because God created them that way. He created them so that men would desire, so that you would desire your wife. Okay. And that's perfectly normal. There's, there's nothing wrong with the female form. That's why God designed it the way he did. But, but the, the perversion that then happens and where we start stepping over that line, Scripture is also adamant to take every thought captive, which means we have the ability to retrain ourselves. So when I struggled with porn earlier on, uh, and, and I didn't like, I wasn't like, you know, up late at night going through the computer type. For me, it was a, a light use but it was it was use all the same yeah and what i did was i would also fantasize in my head and what i did was i retrained myself to fantasize about my wife because men forget it's okay to, there is no sin in fantasizing about your own wife yeah 
you know, so retrain yourself. I mean, if there's something in there that keeps kicking around, you can't just, if you try to get rid of it, you know, what's it say about the house where the demon left, he comes back, he finds it swept and clean and he brings back buddies, you know, replace it, replace it with something good, replace it with something holy. Yes. But excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, to your point, like even the, the proven men curriculum, like there, there is no like, you know, like secret sauce, you know, like, it really <laughs> exactly. like, like it's, it's 12 weeks. A lot of pastors are like, Hey, like this is awesome stuff. Can we cut it down to like five? And it's like, well, they've, they've built years. So we build years building this, this behavioral sinful addiction. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. And we want to kick it in like four or five weeks. And it's like, no dude, like this, this isn't like something that even ends after 12 weeks. A lot of people have to do this curriculum several times. I, I do it once a year. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and so like, it's, it's built on like just very simple things. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's 30 to 45 minutes a day for 12 weeks. And one day during the week, you'll meet with other people who are doing the exact same study and you'll process and share and pray together. And like for 45 minutes a day, all it has you do is, is just look at Jesus and just spend time with Jesus, you know? So like it, it's, uh, again, drawing from James five, confess your sins one to another so that you can be healed. Mm-hmm. Right. And first John one, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Right. These are, these are reprodu- uh, um, these are kind of results. These are just things that happen uh, when we're walking in the light, when we're walking with Jesus, when we're walking in community. And so it's, it's really like, I mean, look at Jesus, uh, the second Corinthians three, we all with unveiled faces, uh, are beholding the glory of the Lord and are moving from one degree of glory to the next. So just like looking at Jesus, we're going to reflect whatever we're looking at. And that's why porn shifts our, our ethic and the way we view human beings and ourselves even. But when we're looking at Jesus uh, for 45 minutes a day for 12 weeks and then going into community once a week and confessing our sins and living in the light, it just changes you over time. It, it, it transforms you. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. All right. So, so then, uh, and maybe you said this already, maybe I missed it. What would you say are the most common types of problems that you come across with men who are dealing with porn? What is it there? I mean, you know, certainly there's, there's one issue that's more common than another, I guess, in how these guys are consuming this. Yeah. Oh, that plays out in so many different ways. It's hard to answer. Um, so I'll just kind of shotgun spread it real quick. Oh, yeah, so I one uh, uh, parents don't know how to talk to their children. No, that's very good. Yep. Um, one is what you mentioned earlier. Like a lot of guys don't think it's a problem until their marriage is falling apart. Yeah, right. And a lot of people think that marriage will save them, right? So they continue on their porn addiction, so they can have sex with their wife, and then they bring that that mistress into their in their me- marriage bed, and it's just yeah. a gosh, it's just a mess, man. Um, uh, when we go into churches or when churches jump on board, they're like, Hey, we love this. We love this. And we want to support our, our parishioners with this. Um, and so they're announced that like something like this is happening and guys won't go to it cause they're just too ashamed. Right. They like don't I don't want anybody to know it was them. They don't want to be seen. Yeah. It's wild. So like, I mean, a lot of times like churches will, <laughs> it's, it's cool. Uh, they'll, well, it's, it's sad. It's sad that they have to do this, but they'll, they'll even appeal to kind of the women. Like, hey, women, uh, you know, encourage your sons and your husbands to come out to this. Um, and not, they won't, you know, they won't frame it as uh, this anti, anti-porn anti group, but they'll say it's a, it's a men's sexual integrity group. And, and if you want to have men of integrity in your lives, then encourage them to come out to this. 
because like the guys just won't do it. I mean, I listened to your podcast the other day about, um, about kind of like who's the boss, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it really is like the, that, that like, like they won't go for themselves, but then when like a woman, you know, they'd rather not have the argument, the intimacy, uh, right, right. with their wife. And so they'll go to the group just to get away from it. Cause yeah. they're the conflict. And, uh, and Jesus uses that stuff, you know, whether in pretense or in truth, the gospels preach. And so I rejoice. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wish. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, those, those are some problems that we face. Yeah. Okay. So let me see here. So obviously, obviously you've done a lot of research on this as a whole. I mean, that's kind of what you guys do. How, how did you find that the early church dealt with sexual issues then? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's a good question. It's a, Oh, it's a beautiful. I, there's so the two ways that I want to answer one, um, uh, what Jesus did in the body mattered a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people will say like, even like the apostles creed or the Nicene creed or something like that, like sexual ethics isn't, uh, but like you go through something like the Nicene creed, um, which was, uh, it's a creed that was formalized at the council of Nicaea in 325. And and churches used it leading up to there. They formalized it at that uh, at that council, um, where then uh, they dispersed it to other churches to help them try and weed out heresy as like canon scripture is still coming together and those sorts right. of things. Right. Uh, so, so the 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 creed talks about Jesus coming in the body, right, and living in the body, then suffering in the body and then being resurrected in the body. And the whole point is what Jesus did with his body matters. Therefore, what we do with our body matters. Absolutely. Right? And, yep. and the New Testament uh, plays that out in so many different ways. Um, one of the, the, the scarier passages is there in Hebrews 12, where it's talking, uh, it references back to Esau, where Esau neglected uh, an aspect of his inheritance, his birthright for a bowl of soup in the old Testament. And he says, don't do this to yourselves by embracing sexual morality, right? That there mm-hmm. is a kind of, I mean, there's a, a blessing that plays out in thousands of ways when you just live a life of purity, even being able to have wholesome relationships, being able to love your children well, being able to love yourself well, and even your wife well, because it taints all of those things. So to see the, the early church used, um, obviously scripture, it was formalized in, in that that creedal statement and then they they practiced it there were there is one woman i wrote about the other day uh even if i were looking at her name i wouldn't be able to say it (laughs) Um, and she uh she was a slave and she was a follower of jesus and she her master tried to advance himself on her and so she denied him because she was a follower of jesus and this is like 200 280 Right. Uh, so this is even before the, the creed was fi- uh, formalized. So she she denies him, which is something that was not done. Right. You don't deny your master. One of your jobs is to, as a slave, is to sexually gratify your master. Right. She denied him, and and he threatened threatened her several times over, and and in the end, she was thrown into a coliseum uh, when she threatened to have her gang raped. And she still denied it, and so he boiled her alive. Um, and her her death set this kind of sex, sexual ethic 
in uh, second temp, uh, second century uh, Middle East Judeo-Christian world, um, and that became a, a pretty common practice mm-hmm. uh, across the Judeo-Christian world, where where um, where even slaves would deny their master sexual favors, and then they would be boiled alive, or they'd be gang raped, they'd be violated uh, because of it. But nonetheless, they they wouldn't they wouldn't allow their bodies to be used that way because of what Jesus did with his body. Willingly, they wouldn't allow it willingly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, and you know it's interesting. A lot of people forget that uh, people shed blood over this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, yeah. just as, just as a side note. You know, my wife and I went to Rome a few years ago, and the Colosseum is this this awesome wonder. I mean, you stand there and you're like, "Wow, this is cool." But then it occurs to you, well, how many of my brothers and sisters died within feet of where I'm standing, torn apart by lions for the entertainment of the crowd? Okay, and this is no different. What we're talking about these people, if they were boiled, gang raped, drawn, I don't care. <sighs> You know, it was, it was not only to make a point, but it was, I think it was also basically the entertainment of the crowd, the, 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 oh, what's the term I'm looking for? Well, it, it escapes me, but, but it the whole point, after the show's over. what's that? It'll yeah, exactly. after we're done yeah you know, as soon as I stand up, it'll hit me. For sure. But, but the whole point is, is this was for them, it was a life or death decision. I mean, they knew, you know, yeah. they knew. And, yeah. and if they did survive a gang rape, I'm sure they probably didn't want to live much after that. But, but those are tough choices. And unfortunately, part of the reason men don't like to come out nowadays is because they don't really have to make those types of tough choices anymore. Okay, just saying nothing, not including themselves in their heads means, well, I don't have to admit anything. But the second you, you shy away and you're like, oh, no, I don't think I need that. People are going to start looking at you like, oh, I see that you need that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's an absolute mess for sure. We um, recently, so Proven Women came out in January um, and uh, we collaborated and partnered with, um, with different people and putting that together. Obviously, females wrote it. Um, right. I would hope and, so. Yeah, for sure. And Brittany De La Mora, uh, wrote the foreword for Brittany De La Moore. She's a former porn star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was wow. reco- it's recorded that she 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 would make around thirty k a month, yep. right? In the porn industry, and uh, and then she met Jesus. Um, that was about seven years ago, seven years ago, five seven years ago, uh, and God has just radically <laughs> just transformed her life. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, she fights the porn industry. She travels around. She's gotten married, you know, and she's pregnant right now. Just incredible. Just absolutely incredible. The, the goodness. That's of awesome. It. Yeah, it's amazing. And she wrote the Ford for us. But like one of the things that, I mean, even I did an interview with her a few weeks ago and I had to write a disclaimer at the beginning uh, as people were about to go through and read it because uh, her, her content, her pornographic content, since she's becoming popular, in, in uh, I mean, she's on Fox News and stuff like that. Since she's becoming popular, people are going and wanting to check out what she looks like naked. Right? Of course. Like when, you know, another guy or two other guys are having sex with her. Right. Uh, it's, just, it's just tragic that I would have to even, like, write a disclaimer like that. Like, hey, like, as you're reading this, you're going to be tempted to want to go and, and 
dominate, right? Or like go and like try and possess her in your imagination and you might be tempted to go and watch her. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Stay with, stay with me, read this interview, read her story. And I promise Jesus will change your heart if you, if you can just not do that and, and travel through her story and see Jesus. Right. You know? have, have the respect. It's wild, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wild. Uh, it's not surprising though. I was, uh, I was a national guard soldier for 24 years and I deployed to Iraq twice. And I'll tell you what, one of the biggest problems amongst the soldiers, well, and you know, you're not supposed to have porn in Iraq cause it's Iraq. They're, they're Islam. Right. But no, 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 no. I was constantly throwing that crap away. I mean, my soldiers would leave it everywhere and, uh, and it didn't help. It just didn't help. Yeah. You know, it didn't help their attitudes. They, I mean, they were already stressed and uh, I know that they would tell you, well, this just helps it's like, no, it's not helping you, not helping you. You're more aggressive. You're, you know, you're more irritated about being gone. Don't, don't give me that crap that it's helping you. It's not helping you. And so I would have to throw that stuff away constantly. For sure. I was looking at a stat. It was a, a FBI stuff from last year, two years ago. They were saying that, uh, it was, it was, it was saying that, um, of all the, the crime scenes where there, there was, uh, like rape or molestation, uh, there was always a pornography at the crime scene, yeah. right? Like the guys who always carried this stuff out, these heinous crimes were addicted to porn like yeah. all across the board. So yeah, it did definitely impacts us and influences us in ways that uh, we still don't know. We're still trying to discover and a lot of like places can't even get funding to do the research for this stuff because you know, the culture is just trying to hide from it. Yeah. Well, well, I'm glad there's, there's guys like you that are helping bring that out. Yeah. Likewise, Michael. Oh, so, all right. Was there, was there anything else that you felt the need to cover? Oh, let me think. Anything that comes to the forefront that you're passionate about that you really think needs to be said or needs to be out there. This is the show to say it on. Cause I'm not going to stop you from saying what you want to say. For sure. <laughs> Thanks man. I appreciate it. Um, no, I would encourage, uh, your listeners to continue to, to listen and to your stuff. I, um, but we just are always having issues with what it looks like to be a father, what it looks like to talk to your children, what it looks like to be a husband. Uh, those are, I mean, those are just constant issues. And I mean, even this summer, one of my summer projects is to create a, a proven youth curriculum that parents can use with their children, that youth leaders can use uh, with their youth kids and whatnot. Um, because it's, I mean, the average age right now is something like nine or 10. Wow. Right? The kids on average are uh, exposed to pornography around nine or 10. And I, we hear some stories that are just harrowing. They're just awful stuff. Uh, so the need is real. I, I, if I could end on uh, just, just commit to just praying for us, you know, uh, just encourage your listeners to just pray for us. Uh, Jesus is doing a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, and it's cool to be able to partner with you, partner with people like Brittany De La Mora and, and be a body, right? Instead yeah. of to be isolated in our own domains. Uh, so just, just continue to pray. The need is real. And like we talked about, a lot of people, I, the light is scary. It's scary. Like being seen is scary, you know? It but like, like that's the only way you'll be healed. And it's safe. Like Jesus is there and he will take care of you. And a lot of people are just scared. So just continue to pray. Pray for the work. Um, uh, a lot of, like I said, a lot of parishioners, they'll reach out to us, they'll ask for help and we go to their churches and just get stonewalled, you know? And it's like, Hey, like, we're not even like, we're not even trying to get proven men in there. We're just saying like somebody reached out to us 
And what do you guys have that we can send him your way? You know, right. like in there and he wants to remain anonymous, but like we want to send him somewhere and we'll let him know. We'll send him to you guys. Like, where can we send them? And they're just like, I mean, they'll, they'll hang up on us. They'll be like, why do they go to you? They'll even say, well, you know, we were talking to one church the other day and, um, and they were just like, well, they should just get, get prayer and get healed. You know, as a Pentecostal church. And it was like, yeah, yeah. It was like, can you, can you be with it? Can you disciple them? Can you walk them through this process? Like none of that was on the table, you know? So yeah. just, just prayer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Reach out to us if you guys know or ever need of anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So last question. What's the one thing, you know, you're good. What's the one thing you feel churches should change today? <laughs> it's only one thing, man. One thing. What's the one thing you think churches should change today? Golly. Um, uh, the shoot this is where i get in trouble uh, <laughs> it's all good yeah because this is this is shame speaking this isn't necessarily yeah. proven then. no that's um, fine um shane would say i would say that uh the the focus of our gathering isn't necessarily intimacy mm-hmm. um when you look at the new testament church uh there in first corinthians 12 also in colossians 3 paul has this exhortation when you gather make sure everyone has a hymn a song a spiritual song and so you see this collaboration people are spending time with jesus throughout the week and then they're coming together they're oftentimes having church over a meal um uh, i'm not necessarily prescribing that kind of form um but there is a sense in which i'll, I'll often go to church a guy I don't know will talk at me for 45 minutes. People I don't know will lead me in worship and then we'll break and we'll promise to meet again next week, you know, yeah. and then we'll walk away and like, that's what's going to save the world. You know? <laughs> um, Check in like, the box. Gosh. Yeah. So some, some, some kind of reframing, I mean, even uh, some kind of reframing where intimacy, where people are able to interact with one another even if it's like, I mean, churches use three ways in the New Testament. There's the universal church. Um, there's the local church, right? The people gathering together. And then there's the geographical church. Um, so Paul would, you know, write Colossians and say, hey, when you're done, pass this around to the other churches. In Colossae, he'll write to the church at Ephesus, right? So there's a geographical church, but there's no, you know, church of Lynchburg, right? There's no church right. in Philadelphia. Geographical church. and. In, a, in any real sense, doesn't exist anymore. And so learning how to practice that together would be something that, uh, yeah, I, w- I would like to spend the next few years imagining that and implementing that in some, in some sort of way so that it doesn't just have to be programs that we run and hope that intimacy happens in those kinds of settings. Right. Awesome. Awesome. I, uh, I, have, to, I have to ask real quick, yeah. uh, what, would, what, would your, what would your answer to that question be, Mike? <laughs> Hey, this is my show, Shane. What do you got? Mike? <laughs> uh, the one thing I think churches need to change today, uh, I think I think it's pretty close to what you're talking about in the fact that I think church is just a box check anymore. Uh, and I think the preaching's too soft, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, can you picture Paul coming in and giving a nice soft pre, you know, sermon? No. How about Peter? No. How about the people that they taught? No. You know, and so I have always said that if, if I irritate you when I'm preaching, 
then at least I know you're listening. Yeah. Okay. So, so you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to, you don't have to even like me, but if I, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, if I don't get up there, it's my job as a teacher, if I'm going to teach, because I've preached quite a bit over the years. I'm not a, I'm not an active preacher in any one church, but I've, I've spoken many, many times, uh, both in, both in the army and, and as far as preaching goes. And I, I sincerely believe that if you're going to get up front, I don't care what you're teaching on. If you can't give your Christian brothers and sisters actionable items to take out that week, then you have failed as a teacher because sure we can go through the lineages until you're blue in the face. Cause even scripture says that some scripture must be endured, but, but it doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, the job of the Christian is to seek and save the lost. What can you give me as a teacher? If you're the one preaching or somebody's preaching, what can you give me that's going to help me do that this week? What, what is, how does this thing that you're preaching about give me the fuel and the, the excuse even to go out and put myself out there on a mission that we all have. So does that answer your question? I dig it. I like it a lot. (laughs) Which is part of the reason the the sedated man was born was I just, I felt, you know, yeah, I'm a little bit of a hard guy. I get it. And I'm abrasive. I get it. And, and I don't care. I think it's something that, that men need, you know, I mean the fluff, there's no room for the fluff. If guys are going to church for the fluff and they're just checking a box, don't bother going. You know, for the, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. That includes a cheerful butt in the, in the seat, not some dude who's just there to get his wife to shut up or his mom to shut up or somebody else to shut up, you know? And if you're going to preach, preach it. Don't, yeah, that's, okay. You asked the question. I'm just. I did your preaching, bro. Okay, so a buddy of mine named Jim Spinati wrote a booklet many, many years ago, many years ago called there's a hireling in the church. And it was all about how, uh, preaching has turned into a job. And so, so long as there's a purse string attached to this guy who's up front, then there are people who pull those strings. And unfortunately I've seen it more, way more than not where they pull those purse strings and the guy suddenly changes his tune on what he's preaching on and how hard he's preaching. If you truly believe in what you're doing and you want to be a preacher, you get out there and you don't, you don't care about the money. Although I get it. If somebody's a full-time preacher, they got to get paid. But if the second the church comes to you and says, Hey, we need you to back off a little bit. And your conviction is this is exactly what they need. If God is telling you, Hey, this is what they need. And, and, but you back off anyway, you better look for a different line of work then or, or lean in, lean in, make it happen. And, uh, and let them know, hey, no, I'm not changing that. This, the, and this is why. Open up your Bible. This is why. There's not enough of that either. Open yeah. up your Bible. This is why. Yeah, passive participation is is the default setting uh, yeah. for people in churches. And there's no, I mean, even conceiving of our own kind of Christianity as ambassadors, right? There's no like missional impulse. Like I'm, I'm here to get equipped so that I can go love my neighbors well. And like like you said, actionable steps. Like if I'm not getting equipped to do that, then something is terribly wrong. Yeah. Show me how to be kind and strong. Exactly. Yes. yes. What's, that, what's that saying? Don't mistake my kindness for weakness. There it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right, Shane. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, I want to thank everybody for coming to, uh, to listen or watch. 
You can find us obviously on Facebook. The video will be on Facebook and YouTube. And this, of course, will be on the podcast. And you can find the podcast on Anchor.fm, on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Radio Public, CastBox, Breaker, and Spotify. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. And you can reach me directly at Mike at the sedatedman.com. That's Mike at the sedatedman.com. Also on patreon.com slash the sedated man, all of the show notes for this episode will be there, uh, including the notes. I'll look them up for uh, Josh McDowell and Barna. And also the uh, link for proven men will be there as well. So that if you basically don't want to go to your church and say, Hey, I have a problem. You can contact proven men uh, directly, or you can even contact me. So with that, thanks once again, Shane. I appreciate it very much. Great to be with you, Mike. All right. You guys have a great day and go forth and conquer.